Okay, so on today's Metaverse show, we've got two brilliant people from Outlier, from our NFT function um, that help founders develop NFT strategies and perform kind of pretty in-depth analysis on the market. They help me and the wider team kind of navigate the space. They recently published some interesting um, thought piece, um, and I thought we get them on the show to talk about it. So today we've got Thomas Iser and Leo Spruth. Welcome both. Thanks for having us, Jamie. Hey, Jamie. So we're going to be talking about some uh, kind of highlights and takeaways from our, your latest Outlier Ventures thought piece that we published on Atlas. Atlas is uh, an environment on our website, open portal, where we try to open up our thinking and knowledge to as many founders as possible. Outside of the accelerator program, obviously, we only get to work with a very, very small percentage of teams that we accept, but there's a huge amount of insight that we develop there, and we try to share it as freely and openly as possible to kind of help Web3 founders make decisions and, and navigate the space. And this is a really important one. So it's titled Web3 IP, Where To Next?, um, the kind of high-level description of it is that advancements in multi-layered IP ecosystems and the proliferation of infrastructure and use cases that empower Web3 IP for creators and brands. Before we go into, uh, I guess, the, the, the thesis, the analysis that's laid out, would be good to kind of just learn a little bit about you both as people. So maybe Thomas, we start with you. Can you just tell us a bit about yourself and your kind of day-to-day outlier? Absolutely. Yeah, Jamie. Uh, so I've been outlier for about a year and a half now. Um, I was officially our, our second NFT focused hire. Um, since then, we've obviously grown tremendously as a company and, and you know, the vertical and, and the expertise required to, to kind of complete the job has also uh, shifted dramatically with kind of the maturation of our industry that we reference in in our piece um, to say that you know at one point NFTs were were you know highly speculative used as kind of launch pads for IPs um, and it you know it is our day to day job at, at Outlier to track these trends and understand how brands companies um, and protocols are leveraging NFTs to um, to add more functional benefits in terms of um, how they're distributing brand equity, how they're growing their community, how they're rewarding um, their, you know, their loyal customers, their loyal users. And it, it really has shifted um, from a framework of like customer and consumer acquisition to um, customer and community structuring. So um, helping and, you know, siloing existing users and then, kind of identifying users in, in a plethora of ways, leveraging NFTs. And, and obviously that's just one of the many use cases that we talk about. But again, the, the shift has, has really come from, you know, IP distribution to, to more functionality within um, a business model and marketing function. So, so yeah, it, and honestly, um, the, you know, our piece and our thesis that we just present is actually very similar to um, the job at hand and, and, kind of the research that we do on a day-to-day basis to help teams essentially keep up and and kind of gain visibility in what is a, you know, a, a saturated bear market. Yeah. And I guess there's different levels to that, right? So on the one hand, it's the synthesizing insights from the thousands of startups that we we speak to and perform DD on, the hundreds of teams that, that we'll work with. 
that will be leveraging NFTs either in a primary or secondary way relative to their business model and then third, the kind of the brands that we're working with or, or observing in the market and, and, and how they're kind of applying and using them. Leo, great to get to know you a little bit more. Please introduce yourself. Thomas already did a great summary on, on what we do on the day-to-day. Maybe a little bit about me. I joined OV almost a year ago as well, coming to my first year next month. Yeah, I think what Thomas has said regarding the piece reflects very much uh, how we work with teams. We've seen the market shift away from those large single IP drops, those big collections, which were able to maintain hype, uh, generate attention, also revenue for specific teams and founders. We are moving away to that to much more consumer applications focused on loyalty and incentivizing users. And also on the IP side to what we talked today, the multi-layer platform approach. Great. So let's jump straight into it. At the top end, we've mentioned a few kind of technical terms, buzzwords. Would be good to kind of unpack those to to help um, the audience navigate what we're going to be talking about today. I guess the kind of primary one there is this multi-layered IP ecosystem. So maybe Thomas, it'd be good to get a definition of that and and maybe also some some examples. When we talk about, you know, IP and, and multi-layered IP ecosystems, what we're really f- referring to is like distribution mechanics. How are people selling their IP and how are they leveraging it within their business? Um, so kind of uh, we'll break this down a little bit uh, more in, in a bit, but we really took a, a microscope to understand how Web3 native IP was being distributed to, to fans and, and to, to users and to holders versus how you know incumbent traditional businesses were um, coming into the space and revitalizing um, their IP with you know leveraging crypto rails. So you know Nike, you know Nike's dot swoosh product is a great example of this and how they essentially revitalized uh, what is like an iconic Air Force One shoe, um, combining it with the you know creative composability, which is essentially is just to say that like. You have many people collaborating um, to bring new breath and and create new angles and and new looks for IP that has already existed. Um, so I, I think that's you know that's core to the space, like this aspect of like co-creation and composability. And then um, again, the multi-layered ecosystem is is a shift away from how the space was two years ago. Um, to say that, like you know, te- there was a, a finite sum of NFTs to a future that you know is not as focused on supply is not as focused on the supply side, but more focused on the actual brand equity that's being distributed through the you know through the through the mechanics that we were t- going to talk about. So instead of you know dropping a, a ten thousand you know size avatar collection. We see brands and, and companies building to 50,000 or 100,000 um, collection size NFTs, wh- where again, it's more about distribution than it is about like speculative price action. And to what extent are we seeing these as kind of marketing initiatives to drive brand awareness or, or to kind of position a brand as you know, relevant, cutting edge versus? you know, NFTs and and this kind of concept of, of IP and really developing, co-developing IP as a, as a core strategy? Great question. I think 
the the answer to that's actually fairly positive and fairly exciting i think like this movement leveraging you know crypto rails and, and specifically nfts is is actually like a redefinition of how brands um, are going to be interacting with their consumers a great example is is you know this this dynamic of gated nft communities combined with um what is you know redemption of nfts with physical products obviously something that we work with um a lot with our partner farfetch um but to understand like how like if you look at the brand consumer buying experience as as like a, as a process and and along a vertical where do nfts plug in um and then how do they reinvent the the traditional kind of approach and uh, the best way that we've seen it summarized honestly when in current form it's it's a buy now you know let's take a, a shoe for example you're a buy now approach um but when you leverage you know nfts and and web3 rails it's now a gain access approach so you, you no longer is it like a kind of disconnected community building approach but um the community is being built alongside the e-commerce experience and then you know it's going to become like the infrastructure that we talk about uh, when it comes to people minting nfts is going to essentially bring everyone closer as a community to their consumption process and, and their brand yeah i guess that's a good good segue in, into leo but i guess the interesting thing there to me is that it's doing a couple of things on on the one hand it's seeing nfts being integrated into existing supply chains it's allowing for new forms of digital consumption but it, in some way it's also reinventing that where kind of the creation production and consumption is is a, a process where the user the customer is involved throughout rather than kind of just at the end of the process where they consume something right so maybe leo we kind of hinted thomas hinted at like infrastructure infrastructure which is kind of making this stuff possible enabling and empowering both kind of native web3 ip but then also i guess existing ip franchises to to kind of extend and leverage their brands could you maybe talk about some of the innovative ways companies like those you feature in a program are um, in the um in the report so from visualized value manifold etc um are, are doing this so maybe to understand the infrastructure a little better is if we look at those companies manifold decent uh, xyz or zero x splits what they do is really enabling bringing creators and ip builders together to collaborate and then distribute their assets in a fairly way so manifold would be in an easy and no-code minting platform. Xerox splits make sure royalties get distributed fairly among those collaborators. And probably the best example to really illustrate this is MetaLabel, which is basically a platform that allows different groups of people to come together, share their skills, share their audience, share their resources, and create assets and uh, share their success together. And what we've seen come out of this, maybe a little more on the creator side, you mentioned Visualize Value and Jack Butcher, uh, he's a single creator and he really stepped up the game for like Web3 IP creator development. And his multi-layered approach was very much based on leveraging the power of memes, of course, NFTs, the use of metadata, gamification, and C2.0 principles. So if we unpack that a little bit, memes, he always comments on social dynamics in the space. So we had the, the old Pipen edition, which comments on Pepper the meme, of course, um, visualized value, VVChecks, 
took the Twitter checkmark and implemented in this collection, which was a commentary on the centralization of platforms. Um, gamification, he always uses burn mechanisms, so destroying one NFT to obtain another NFT. And then CC0, which means Creative Commons, is basically all of his work, all of the IP was in the in the Creative Commons, was accessible to use for everybody to create derivatives, which people have done a lot, and which brought a lot of value back to the original product, which previously has never has never happened in Web2. And maybe a last example, Jim, you mentioned how we move away from this transactional relationship uh, between the brand and the user. And Thomas has already hinted on that and, and likes the solution, how they brought their legacy IP on chain. And uh, he mentioned the Air Force One example. And essentially what they did was taking the core IP, bringing it on chain, innovating up on it with the user, creating multiple new versions, and then selling those exclusively to the community that is formed around throughout the process. Basically, tightening the feedback loop of product development incentivizing users to participate in brand equity, making them ambassadors, and most importantly, I would say, uh, creating some form of ownership, psychological ownership, which usually when you want to participate in a brand, you have to pay a lot of money for a sneaker, and then you were just wearing the shoe, but now and like now you have like participating in the creation process. It's a it's a piece that you've let uh, you own and bring with yourself. So it's interesting when we're talking about infrastructure, we're not just talking about technology. We're not talking about a tech stack. Actually, kind of drawing out from what you just said there, there's there's maybe kind of three elements. You know, one is the the, the meme, the memes, and the narrative. Uh, the other one is the community, and then the other one is kind of the technology. And it, you need all three of those really to have this form of composable creativity and kind of co-creation is is that kind of a fair a fair summary if i missed anything in in that i, I would agree it's it, you can see it almost like a stack of course it differs if you look at the big web two brands coming into the space and the signal creator for somebody like jack butcher but it's all entangled and they all work together in some form Sim- similar how we propose in the in the open thesis of how creative composability unlocks new value. So then maybe if we move on to um, drop structures, you know, I'm assuming, you know, drop culture is is nothing new. It, it, it kind of predates Web3, but I know has been a kind of an integral part to certainly native Web3 brands borrowing from kind of streetwear culture. How has the trend of drop structures or the mechanic of drop structures evolved? And what are the kind of themes that we're seeing from a kind of ec- economics perspective in that design i agree usually it was like so far what we've seen dominantly is like that web3 ip drops or like nft drops very much reflect how like an exclusive sneaker collection or like an rms bag is dropped uh, it's a it's a very leechist thing to some extent and usually uh, it was monetized around the notion of scarcity so product and creators wanted to keep supply scarce to drive demand and to generate high prices to achieve revenue on royalties and high multiples on secondary markets because that's how you signal okay my product is successful and you want to create four more and more buy-in and now what we've seen with the multi-layered approach again going back to life because it's like the best example um, is that we are moving from scarcity to abundance in the sense that now we have much larger collections but at a very low price point and one reason for that is very difficult to maintain momentum with like different strings of ip which are highly priced just too much to manage and on the other hand of course 
as Thomas has mentioned in, in the intro, to distribute the IP and the assets among so many people as possible in order to lower barriers to entry, to, to create a lock-in into the brand, drive primary sales, because this is something we can maybe talk about later, but something which is happening in the space is that uh, we are seeing a shift away from royalties, unfortunately. Um, so low price assets, high quantity uh, could be a revenue generating factor in terms of primary sales. And then, of course, programmatic assets um, in a sense that holders can identify each other digitally once they hold this asset from, from the brand. They can connect and form sub-communities and ultimately amplify each other and amplify the brand. So I guess this is another example of something we've been saying for a long time, which is NFTs are a form of social media. They're a form of identity, belonging, but now actually even even um, community kind of forming. And just out of interest, has that trend to you know affordable, kind of mass um, accessible NFTs influenced the the technology stack that's being used, like where these things are being minted, um, like how's that evolved? Um, maybe, maybe Jim Chi Thomas. So this was a today conversation, so it's it's you know very relevant. And as as we talked about, right, infrastructure, you know, proliferating that allows for like cultural distribution, but also um, it is it is like very core to how we behave, like. In, it's prolifer like this mint infrastructure, this NFT infrastructure is like proliferating everything, like every action, every desire, every product we buy. So if you even look at, you know, recent kind of like blog, decentralized blog infrastructure in, in Mira, they've enabled subscribe to mint. Um, you And as we mentioned in, in the blog as well, sound.xyz, you know, kind of you're, you're now minting music you like. Um, Throwback to NBA Top Shot, you're you, you know you're minting your favorite basketball player. So th- there's also this thesis that <laughs> everything, every almost piece of you will be made immutable on chain, um, creating like what is a community around every facet of your life. And it, it feels like a fairly dystopian thesis, but we're, we're slowly moving towards it. Um, and I and I, it's actually not as monopolistic as a web two, you know, there's a ton of talk around, okay, cookies and and data privacy. But I think the exciting thing about web three rails is that when you're doing these things, you're actually able to kind of be a stakeholder, you know, accrue value in these ecosystems. So, um, not just, you know, a passive, um, you know, a passive victim in, in this, you know, data war, but, you know, a very active um, control of, of kind of your cookies. And, and a lot of people liken NFTs that you mint in your wallet to cookies because, you know, it's, it's your, so it, it tracks your movements, tracks your activity, and, and ultimately is, is the biggest signal that you could have when it comes to, you know, your behavior in, in crypto and, and decentralized economies. I think I really like, you know, the idea that tokenize everything, kind of like atomization of individual, atomization of identity, atomization of socialness. It sounds like currently that's public by default. So the assumption is, is that that's all public. Now we know innovations are coming through with zero knowledge technologies. That's something we're actively investing in and, and supporting. But 
in this context, is that even interesting? Is it is it such a generational thing that actually the generation or generations that are engaging with this stuff as a form of social media are are public by default? You know, they are they're happy to share everything. Um, they don't require privacy in a way, perhaps older generations. If we want to dig into that, we dig into how you know our generation behaves on, you know, we go into like this, almost this rabbit hole of like, how does our generation behave on social media, Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, um, this, this idea of like openness, um, when it comes to, uh, social lives, personal lives. And, and I like this almost reliance on, on social media as, as a distribution mechanism. So, um, I don't know if I, I have the perfect answer there or, or, or can crack that code. But again, I think that is like, it, it is a very, like a very interesting piece of this whole puzzle because I don't think I've been in a situation or, or interacted with anyone who's been afraid to necessarily mint a, a particular NFT or, or participate in um, a particular raffle or, or a, a drop because they were afraid of, um, what it signaled to you know on the public ledger obviously there are circumstances um where people don't want to you know if, if it's lewd material or or highly politicized like th those are exceptions of course but never from a more cultural more social aspect you know i have not seen that so um it, it, i think absolutely gonna be interesting I imagine most people are pseudo-anonymous anyway, and, and they might have multiple identities. So we're not talking about identity in a singular sense, and therefore, you know, public by default is okay if if your default identity is uh, pseudo-anonymous. Really, we're saying on-chain. But Leo, I know you wanted to interject earlier. Um, I think Thomas made a great point. It's hard to pin down because, I mean, I'm not that old myself, but if I look at younger generations who are very politically aware I think they'll grow into this habit and this understanding of what you actually ha have with Web3 in terms of the potential and privacy. Because for me, example, I didn't join Web3 because I wanted my data to be more private. I joined because I kind of went down this rabbit hole. I was caught by the idea of ownership and, and leveraging NFTs and tokens. And then gradually I understood, okay, the more nuanced you become and the more familiar you become with Web3 products, the more you understand the value there is in really protecting your own identity. So that's one thing. And I think on the other hand, it is really about baking this into the infrastructure, right? That's what we're doing in Outlet as well. Really making sure we are building on those core pillars of what we So Thomas, um, maybe you just continue this trend on, well, this, this line of conversation around um, Web3 IP. C can you compare a native Web3 IP with an incumbent um, bringing IP into Web3 is is one inherently more advantage or disadvantage than the other? And do they take different approaches when it comes to the IP itself, i.e., you know, down to copyright or, you know, IP law and, and, and how they're embedding it in existing legal or intellectual property? One clear kind of conclusion that we made at the end of this piece is that each of you know each of these verticals serve their own function in building like this creative culture layer um that is you know the world and ecosystem of nfts so the one thing we didn't want to do is like alienate these two concepts because 
even you know even up to a few hours ago you have a massive brand um in in adidas partnering with um a a web3 digitally native artist in ferocious um and and who in who in could have guessed that these two seemingly different entities like a multi-billion dollar company with a you know 18 year old um digital artist um could come together and and create experiences that people would pay to you know pay top dollar to kind of get their hands on whether it's what whether the drop is going to be a co-designed physical shoe or it's going to be a piece of art like these things are coming together like more seamlessly than than i think we could have ever imagined because i i don't think you could have guessed in in three or four years ago who or who a headlining designer would have been so you could have guessed someone like jeff stable jeff staple who is kind of a legend in that space but um to for such a brand to be so conscious of you know people and artists that we consider you know that we claim as our own as as people and participants in in nfts and, and crypto to to kind of grow and and be propelled by these um you know as i said multi-billion dollar corporations and, and giving them platforms that uh these brands like these two entities can actually coexist and, and work together yeah and i think it's an interesting point around coexisting collaborating obviously collaboration is nothing new in the context of fashion and and i guess cross-culture whether it's music you know hip-hop fashion whatever it is it's interesting to see that web3 is still seen as much as a community and a culture as it is a, a kind of technology stack so look you both on the daily are advising founders on thinking about their brand and their ip you know some of those founders are really looking at nfts in a secondary sense as kind of mechanisms or or a technology to kind of execute on a business model and, and some of them you know nfts are are the, the primary thing that they're, they're, they're the core maybe kind of one of you takes either but it'd be it'd be good to understand like what's your advice you're starting out nobody's heard of you um you're an entirely new brand um and you want to build out some kind of new cultural ip in web3 you know where do you start good uh good question and and a good test for our uh for, for our knowledge base here i think one thing that we preach is like this concept of of door-to-door sales and and i hate to be cliche and and you know reference something that seems so so simple but it's a concept that like you need to focus on developing like a core group of, of 15 to 20 to 30 followers and then what you do there is like you empower those early supporters with a value accrual value capture mechanism that increases stickiness to your brand and kind of creates like creates each of those people as their own individual ad network like the concept that you know everything in web3 is an ad network and that through value capture mechanisms they will be rewarded for their contributions to ecosystem growth so it's and you know you you really mentioned like people are leveraging nfts in such a diverse set of ways like the challenge again when it comes to working with founders building across you know across protocols across their ones um in different verticals like 
is is finding that gamified value capture mechanism that helps and promotes like the growth of the ecosystem. So um, it's starting small and then um, you know rewarding those early supporters and and you know empowering them to be their own ad network is is kind of our core core advice to founders. So there's kind of got this concept of community ownership, like participation. At what point or in what instance would you, should you introduce a DAO? Like, or, or do you not necessarily even need to? Is it okay if things are gamified um, or there is enough opportunity to participate that people are happy to participate without necessarily needing to formally join a DAO and participate in, in day-to-day governance? TR, happy to happy to expand on that. I think DAOs in themselves have their own benefit, like significant benefits in, you know, certain mechanisms. And and again, alluding to like this diversity of approach. Um, if you they you know, DAOs as as building autonomous groups that um again have this value capture mechanism, DAOs are are, you know the best thing that someone could institute. Um, but I think DAOs, again, is, is this idea of like community structuring as opposed to community acquisition. So when you have members and you're ready to empower members um, to create and be rewarded, like you create a DAO and, you know, you institute decentralized governance and, and management practices and you, you allow this entity to flourish on its own. But, um, you know, that's where we pass off to to our DAO specialists um, on, on the team in Evan and and you know we really focus on on top of funnel growth to ensure that like the members are actually there and and they feel connected and and you know retained within within your ecosystem. Um, well, I think you you would have done the DAO team proud there. So um, nice disclaimer, but I, I think you articulated it really well in terms of a phasing approach. So, Leah, maybe we kind of take the other end of the spectrum or, or, or another spot on the spectrum, you know, don't feel um, obliged to kind of stick, stick with where I place you, but you know, you are, you're an established brand or you, you have some existing IP um, and you are new to web three. Um, how should you be thinking about experimenting in the space in a way that is additive and, and also, can allow you to appropriately manage the risks because you know if you speak to most brand managers especially brand managers from brands with heritage and especially in the luxury category like they have to overcome the cost benefit you know like what is the potential cost and risk to my brand versus the benefit that i'm going to gain there's a lot to unpack in that question so you could be Devised into two different strategies. First of all, is the you know the basic principle should be be honest about this approach. Don't take this as like a short-term marketing initiative. Don't try to generate attention from I don't know any specific kind of target audience. If you try it, try it properly and prepare to have like a roller coaster, coaster long-term jump. Then, if you want to activate, depending on the brand, the brand equity, the IP, and the product you sell, you could say okay. I start by focusing on web free native users because if I activate in the space, those are the ones who will understand the value I provide with programming assets immediately. 
that's an easy entry, but usually what we're seeing is large Web2 brands who already have a large user base and they want to provide the value of Web3 principles to those is um, blockchain obfuscation. So really simplifying UI UX, making it, it as easy as possible for the user to either have a wallet or a non-custodial wallet, um, simplifying the complex language, uh, not using too much degen terminology, uh, and then slowly but surely onboarding those users um, onto Web3 Rails. And once they are part of the platform or the product or the service, and they hold specific NFTs, you can gradually introduce them to the value that they can potentially earn if they want to once they exit outside of the system. And that's usually where it's like it makes click and people in Web2 users understand, oh, wow, okay, there's more to this than just holding a digital stamp or a digital sticker. Maybe to kind of wrap it up, we've been talking for some time now. It's great. I mean, um, I've been learning a lot, so I'm sure the audience have have too. Firstly, did, I, did we cover everything? Did I capture all the key points? Is there anything missing that you, you like to highlight? And then equally, maybe in conclusion, like looking forward... What are the what are some of the implications um, of the trends that you're seeing? So maybe Thomas, we, we kind of start with you. Did I miss anything and, and, and kind of future implications or insights? And then we'll go to Leah. No, I I think we we did a good job of, of covering. I think you know the the most important thing that we want people and and teams to understand is like despite poor macro conditions and and you know kind of poor consumer metrics in things like active wallets and and volume and floor prices like there is there's a whole other ecosystem of you know culture being defined um whether it's big brands whether it's it's web3 native ip you know nike jack butcher ordinals manifold zora there's still so much going on and it's you hate to like compare bear markets right but you know 2018 versus now is is unimaginably different to say that like people still show up and, and people still care versus, you know, Jamie, I'm sure you can attest to a couple of years ago, like it, it really felt like the end and no, at no point in, in the last year have I, you know, it, it's been scary at times, but you know, the, the doubts don't creep in the same way. And, and you know, you, you just kind of look forward and, and actually, you know, being able to participate on chain in so many different ways and, and create so many dis- different use cases. Um, it's exciting and and it's you know keeps us going keeps us motivated um and and so i think that's you know that's the most important uh, conclusion and yeah i mean in terms of the future um leo mentioned uh, an interesting kind of concept in in blockchain blockchain obfuscation you know hiding hiding the chain as as much as we can or hiding the participation on chain as much as we can and um we've been looking a lot and, and been excited about the concepts around like account abstraction. So, you know, even to how someone interacts, sends crypto, means NFTs doesn't have to be necessarily through, you know, a, a web three nat- a web three native DAP, but can be through an interface that someone, you know, is more comfortable with, like, for example, a telegram chat, minting minting an NFT for participating in in a community on a telegram in, in a Twitter group. Um, in a WhatsApp group and and even participating in in you know more decentralized social channels is it's also been exciting. So you know Warpcast are built on Farcast a protocol and and just kind of seeing the you know unlocking the possibilities of 
um, of social and and you know crypto dynamics and and just push you know kind of continuing to push the ball forward um, when it comes to that has you know keeps us excited keeps us motivated um, and and you know I think what we do here at Outlier just working with founders building the futures is always you know is always exciting. Like I always say the thing that gets me through crypto is the founders right because if you're dealing with founders every day which is our privilege you're dealing with people who are obscene optimists like you just wouldn't be a founder if you weren't an optimist and and we get to work with those all day long so it kind of rubs off on you um and i think you know you can you can hear that in, in thomas's um uh, voice so leo from your perspective um do we miss anything and then also kind of looking forward what, what are you excited about what do you think some of the implications coming out of the blog post are? i don't think we have missed anything i also have a very bold but optimistic prediction because i think actually royalties will come back sometime next year or sometime in the future simply because thomas mentioned we talked about the all the creator infrastructure being built zora manifold Ueno, you name it there's so many of them which who just focus on empower, empowering creators and very much less focus on those whales and big heavy traders in the space and now now if you look around into like if you go and look outside of blur marketplace anything like that people are still very happy to pay like three to five percent of royalties if they feel there's value in the cause they're supporting and i think once we come back and there are more users and the, the space is not dominated by big bag holders um we'll see a resurgence very interesting and of course uh, royalties was a key theme in our latest report or kind of uh, update on our thesis uh, open metaverse under attack um, you know, recent trends uh, really kind of challenging the integrity um, of, of royalties. I know a number of innovations coming through that can kind of help enshrine that or, or guarantee that. Um, but good to hear you're, you're kind of bullish on that as well. So, look, been fascinating speaking to you both um, in a more formal context, but like I, I always kind of love, love learning from you guys. Um, where can people follow you? Individually, maybe Thomas first, then Leo. Awesome. So LinkedIn is always a great place for me. Um, Thomas is so. And Telegram, first name, underscore last name as well. And then um, Twitter is as well, very active. Um, you can find me at 0xSins um, for anyone who's, who's Twitter native. But yeah, no, thanks for having us, Jamie. This this was awesome. It was super fun. Uh, you, you can find me on LinkedIn as well. Leo Spruf. Hard to pronounce my, my last name. It's German, so probably... Better not try that. You can find me on Twitter at uh, OEL for all, which is Leo Reverse for all. Um, yeah, thank you, Jamie. Dudes, thanks for coming on. Um, so if people want to find the article, go to outliveventures.io slash Atlas. It's somewhere in there. Otherwise, just Google either person's name or Outlier Ventures and the title Web3 IP, where to next? Um, thanks for coming on. We'll definitely get you on, I don't know, every quarter, something like that. It's such a fast moving space, right? To, to kind of catch up what we're doing. Thanks for coming on. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please make sure you subscribe, rate, and share your feedback to help us reach as many people as possible with the important mission of Web3. 